for us. But look at Luke chapter number one. Go down to verse number five tonight. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, the Bible said, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall not drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God. And he shall go before them in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There's a great truth in that verse where it says to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. We've Spent all of our time, it seems like, in our modern day churches trying to reach the young people. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think it'd be far more effective if we got the hearts of daddies and the hearts of fathers in the home tonight. So as the father goes, the home goes. And Zacharias, verse 18, said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I'm Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and sent to speak unto thee, and show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me, to take away my reproach, among men. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this evening. We're thankful, Lord, that we know what you've done for us. Lord, it's not just something that we've heard. It's not just something that has been testified to us, but Lord, we've experienced it. Lord, I remember the day, I remember the moment, Lord, that you saved my soul. You changed my life, and I'm forever grateful, God, for the work that you've begun and have done since that day. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, that in the eyes of God, I'm already seated in heavenly places. 
But Lord, also day by day, you are working in my heart, in my life, and revealing more of yourself to me, which I am grateful for. I thank you, Lord, for church tonight. Thank you, Lord, for those who were able and willing to come out and practice for the Christmas uh, special, Lord. I pray, Lord, it'd be a blessing to you, Lord. I pray, Lord, we'd honor you with it, Lord. Lord, you said if we'd lift you up, Lord, you'd draw all men unto yourself. God, we're not putting on a performance. God, we're not trying to entertain. Lord, we're just simply trying to worship and praise your holy name. Lord, for that is what works. I pray, Lord, our church would never get away from the main thing. Lord, we wouldn't go down the road of modernism. We wouldn't go down the road of just pure mechanics, God, but we'd come in Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and every time in between, God, just to glorify and lift up your name. I ask you tonight that you hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Lord, you'd use me for your glory. God, empty me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with the Spirit of God. Let me just be a vessel in the hands of the Master tonight, a mouthpiece for your glory. Lord, I love you and I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen, now you're gonna say, preacher, I've been to many a Christmas plays in my life and I've been to many a Christmas services and I've never once seen John the Baptist in any of those. I mean, John the Baptist, is he's later on, but really there's an interesting thing when you, we were talking about the narrator of a story, there's an element to some stories that's called foreshadowing. In essence, there is an event that takes place in the beginning of the story that if you catch it or you realize it, then, then at the end of the story you could say, hey, I seen that coming. There was an element of foreshadowing. The character said something or did something or acknowledged something in the beginning and at the end it comes back to fruition and you understand what is going on. Not too long ago we were watching a show at the house and one of the characters said something. My wife said that seems like she's foreshadowing something and sure enough she was. Can we say here tonight, you say a preacher what, what does the, the, the birth of John the Baptist have to do with Bethlehem? What does it have to do with Christmas? And here's how I want to present it to you tonight, that the, the birth of John foreshadows the birth of Jesus. We know that John is the forerunner of Christ and everywhere John went, Jesus was right behind. And we see here tonight as John's birth and his announcement and, and how John comes to be, if we can accept the birth of John, it makes it easier for you and I to accept the birth of Jesus. Well, preacher, how is that be? Well, there's a quite, a quite many of similarities between these births that are, that are quite interesting. Well, first, both births were miraculous in their conception. We know that Jesus was born of Mary who was a virgin. That was the work of the Holy Ghost of God within the womb of Mary. But we also see here that Zacharias and Elizabeth are well stricken. Right, they are old in age, and, and I, you know, as a younger man, sometimes I struggle with how to describe somebody who is older than me without saying, hey, they're old. And so I've purpose in my heart from now on, I'm going to say, oh, you know, so-and-so, they're well-stricken. <laughs> they, they are well of age, and they have both come to terms that it was impossible for them to have a child. In essence, it was for the womb of Elizabeth had been shut up, but here God, through the Holy Spirit of God, does a work within the womb of Elizabeth. So both John and Jesus are products of miraculous conception. Both fathers were honorable men. 
We see here tonight that Zacharias was an honorable man. He was serving in the role of a priest. He was feeling his obligation. And the Bible says the same thing about Joseph. He was a just man, willing to do that which was right. We, they both had honorable men, their fathers in the sense. Both births were announced by Gabriel. Gabriel had a busy six months. He had went from the throne of God for all eternity, and he comes down to here. It comes down here to the life of Elizabeth and Zacharias, and he goes to Nazareth, and he's announcing birth. Amen. He was doing it long before it was cool to do on Twitter and TikTok. He was announcing the birth of John and the birth of Jesus. He not just told them their names; he told them their purpose, God's will for them, and he also made them a promise. He didn't look at Zacharias and say, well, you know, if everything works out, you might have a baby boy. He didn't look at Mary and say, Mary, what the Lord is doing in your womb, it may or may not come to fruition. He said, no, thou shalt bear a son, thou shalt have a child, and their name shall be John, and their name shall be Jesus. Both fathers struggled to comprehend. They just couldn't quite figure out what was going on and how it had come to be. Both women were hidden for the majority of their pregnancy. We know that, that Joseph puts Mary away because he's an honorable man, and we also see that Elizabeth goes, and the Bible said in verse 24, hid herself five months. We also see that the neither child was named after their earthly father. John, everybody thought John's name was to be Zacharias. And Joseph could have very easily stepped in to, to save face and to save public ridicule and say, well, that, that boy's name is Joseph, but neither one named their sons after them in that sense. Now, both births were publicized almost immediately. If you look at verse number 65 of Luke chapter number one, the Bible says, and the fear came all that dwelt around about them. All these sayings were noised abroad throughout the hill country of Judea right after John was born. News spread real quick. There's been a great birth in Judea. We also know that when Jesus was born, the shepherds who were brought there and led there by the angel go there and see the Lord and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And the Bible said they noised it abroad that the Savior had been born. Here's another, we know little about each other's childhood or each person's childhood. We, we know a whole lot about their ministry, but we know little about childhood. There's one account in the life of Jesus and John, we're told that when John came of age, he went into the wilderness and he didn't come back out. <laughs> Zacharias and Elizabeth said, go play. And John never came back inside until it was time for him to do what God had told him to do. And as I was reading, I got to think, we spent a lot of time trying to make sure our kids have a perfect childhood, that they have everything a child ought to have and experience. But may I ask you, maybe we're setting the mark a little bit too low if we're just striving to give them a good childhood as a parent. Our desire ought to be not just to be an encouragement, but to prepare them for the ministry that God wants to do in through their life tonight. Now, besides these facts, we also see some truths about this couple that can help us too. They bring John into this world, the forerunner of Christ, but we can look at some things about this couple and apply them to our life and hopefully for the improvement and the betterment of our Christian life. Notice number one, they were a serious 
couple. Not like they were serious, like you talk about two people dating. Oh, they're serious. They're in a serious relationship. But this couple was steadfast. They loved the Lord. They, it was evident. Now notice this. They came from good pedigree. Verse number five tells us in Luke chapter number one, the Bible said there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. Now Abiah was a man who was put in charge of a, of, of a work inside the temple and, and, and a certain specific work burning the incense within the temple in the days of David. He was placed there by King David. He was commissioned there by the king of Israel to help with the temple worship. And so we see that here is Zacharias. He's a direct descendant of this man by the name of Abiah. And he is also doing the same thing. He is fulfilling his role inside of the temple. Zacharias had a family with a royal charge, being commissioned by the royal family. Now notice where Elizabeth came from in verse number five. And Elizabeth, his wife was the daughters of Aaron. Well, that's, that's pretty much Jewish royalty. That goes back to the days of Moses and the Red Sea and coming up out of Egypt, Aaron, the brother of Moses, the first priest in the line of priests and how God blessed Aaron and God used Aaron. And now here is Elizabeth. She said, well, I can trace my family tree all the way back to grandpappy Aaron. And one of my, one of my great, great grandmammies was married to one of his daughters and, or one of, one of his sons and, and, and all of that stuff worked out and they could have easily said, you know what? We've got a good name. We come from good stock. That is good enough for us. Grandpappy was faithful and grandma was faithful and we're just going to ride the coattails of a previous generation. But that's not what they did. They served the Lord themselves. They were serious. They could easily say, that's good enough for us. One of the most dangerous phrases you'll ever say in your Christian life is, that is good enough. Lord, I, I know you have more, but I'm all right where I am. We see that they, were, they had a great pedigree. They also had a great purpose. Verse number five, there was in the days, it, was, it says he was the course of Abiah. And he goes on to say down there in verse number eight, it came to pass while well, he executed, talking about Zacharias, the priest's office before God, in the order of the course. Preach what was the course? It was a scheduled time of service. In essence, there was a scheduled time in Zacharias's calendar that he was expected to be at the temple fulfilling his obligation as a priest and a descendant of Abiah. And so the Bible said it was on his lot that he was to burn incense for normally it was a long schedule. And so here comes Zacharias. He's reported for duty. He has showed up where he was supposed to be. He's got the incense ready. He's doing his part. He could have easily said, you know what? I, I've done my weekly service. I went to revival for a week. I, 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 I do more than just come to church. I, I'm faithful to these things and those things. And, and I, I'm doing enough already. I, I'm not concerned what else what the Lord has for me. He could have easily said, I've given the Lord a whole week of my life. That has to be good enough. But we notice this, this couple had a genuine purpose. Look at verse number six. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. In essence, their desire to serve God went beyond that week inside of the temple for Zacharias. 
Their service for God was not a part of their life. It defined who they were. They decided they were going to live. They were righteous before God. You could take that statement and say that before they made a decision, before they put forth any action, they would stop and say, Lord, what do you want us to do? And how do you want us to do it? They lived before the Lord. They walked according to the word of God, which is what it says in verse number six, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. They, they knew what God's word said, and it wasn't just something that they followed in the temple, but they strived to follow it in their everyday life. There's a lot of people, they think, oh, as long as I act right in church, I'm doing God a favor. Can I say God doesn't desire weekend visits with me and you? God doesn't desire us to act like we know what we're doing in here and then leave it all behind once we leave out the doors. God desires you and I in every moment of our life to live according to his word. Preacher, how do you know? He gave it to us. If God didn't want us to follow it, he wouldn't have gave it to us. But thankfully, he's given it to us. We have to ask ourselves, are we walking according to God's word? Notice this, they were blameless in their actions. They weren't perfect. We'll, we'll see that in just a few minutes. They were nowhere near perfect, but they were blameless. In essence, they lived in such a way that if someone were to come up in there in Judea and said, we seen somebody rob the bank, nobody would have thought of Zacharias and Elizabeth for how they lived their life. They were honest, reputable people. They had a good testimony, and they walked, and they were blameless before the Lord. Let me ask you, when it comes to serving God, how serious are you? How serious are you about serving God? Is it just a part of who you are? Well, I do it on Sundays and Wednesday nights, preacher, and a couple times during the month, I'll do a little things for the church. Does your service define you? It's who you are. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. I am a servant of the Most High God. And that is not just something, that's not a name tag that I wear and I take off when I go home or I, or I take off when I go somewhere else. It is who I am no matter where I am. That's how it ought to be tonight. When it comes to serving God, how serious are you? So we see they were a serious couple. They were serious about serving God. Notice number two, they were a struggling couple. They were a struggling couple. Have you ever thought, well, I'd like to live a life that would have made it into the Bible? I'd like to have done something with my life that if God said, you know, we're going to add a new book in there from 2023. I want to do something that, that would make it into the Bible. I want to slay a giant. I want to part a sea. I, I want to I call fire down from heaven. I, I want to do something great and mighty that is encouraging and, and leaves people amazed. When they, when they hear about it, they say, wow, you did what? And God did what? But here's the thing that we often forget and we don't think about, that most of the people mentioned, we see their great success, but God also lets us see their struggles. Yes, we see Moses parting the Red Sea, but we also see him killing an Egyptian. Yes, we see David slaying a giant, but we also see him and Bathsheba committing sin. We see their great success, but we also see their struggle. Let me ask you tonight, <laughs> Would you be willing, oh, preacher, I want to live a life that, is, that would make it into the Bible. Are you willing to let people see your struggles? Are you willing to allow God to use your struggles to help somebody else? It's an uncomfortable place to be. That's a, that's a hard decision to make. And yet we see here tonight this couple, 
God allows us a front row seat to their struggle, not to embarrass them and not to put them down, but that you and I can take away from it. If, if, if God can help them in their struggle, then God can help me in mine. People get help when we're willing to be honest about our struggles. <laughs> Preacher, you got any problems? Oh, no, I don't have no problems. I don't ever struggle with nothing. My life is a cakewalk. Can I say if that were the case, 95% of you just tuned me out because your life isn't that way. <laughs> you, you went to bed last night with problems and woke up with more. That's how life is sometimes. Notice here, well, well preacher, what did they struggle with? What did, what did Zacharias and what did Elizabeth struggle with? First of all, they struggled with what they didn't have. They struggled with what they didn't have. Verse number seven tells us they had no child. They had no children because that Elizabeth was barren. <laughs> it was evident to them they knew that they didn't have what everybody else might have. They, they, they knew they didn't have a child. It wasn't a surprise. And they didn't wake up one day and say, where's our children? What happened to them? Day after day, year after year, while their friends and their family begin to have children, it seems like everything just passes by them. Yes, they love each other, but there's an apparent lack within their home. They have no child. They knew what they didn't have. They just didn't know why. Why don't we have any children? Why don't we have a son? Why don't we have a daughter? Why don't we have a child? How many tonight could be real honestly, preacher? There's some things that are just apparent in my life. I, I, I wished I had them. I've prayed for them. I've asked for them. And I just don't have them. Preacher, I know what I don't have, but sometimes I struggle with the why. Why don't I have that? Why don't I have it like everybody else has? Why am I missing this? Now, here's the interesting thing. In verse number 25, we see how Elizabeth felt about this. Thus the Lord hath dealt with me in the days wherein he looked upon me to take away my reproach among men. Elizabeth said what I don't have. She said in the eyes, for some odd reason, Elizabeth thought because I can't have a child, people think less of me. I'm a reproach before men. Uh, that, that, that I'm a reproach. It's shameful that I don't have a child. Here's the danger tonight when you and I realize what we don't have and we, we begin to self-inflict, we begin to allow society's stigma to influence our life. Never once did God call that a reproach to them. Never once did God put down Elizabeth and Zechariah for not having a child. Matter of fact, we've already learned they're blameless. They're committed. They're serving the Lord. They're faithful to where God has placed them. God never told them anything like that. And when your apparent lack becomes, when your lack or your, your, your missing thing becomes apparent in your life, if you're not careful, you'll begin to listen to what the world has to say to you and what society expects out of you more than what God has already said about you. They struggled with what they didn't have. But then notice this. They struggled with what they did have. They struggled with what they did have. <laughs> Verse number 11, Zacharias goes to the temple. He's fulfilling his duty and he's, he's doing what he has been commissioned to do and called to do and instructed to do taught to do, 
and there's something we could take away. Preacher, I want what God has for me. Then you better make sure you're where you're supposed to be. Because that Zechariah said, you know what? I'm done with burning incense at the temple. I, I've done it before. Nothing great's happened. Nothing, my God, God's presence hasn't filled that place like it did in the days of Solomon. Those days are gone. The glory days are gone. I'm just going to give up and go do my own thing. He'd have missed the very thing that was fixing to change his life. Notice this, they struggled what they did have. And so here comes Zacharias. He's in there doing the business of burning incense. And here comes the angel Gabriel. Startles Zacharias. Zacharias thinks it's judgment. Because in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord showed up. It normally wasn't a good thing. <laughs> Zacharias, I'm dead. This is it. <laughs> it's the big one. I'm, they're taking me out. God has done with me. God is through with me. And Gabriel says, calm down. I ain't here for that. Matter of fact, I'm bringing you good news. You're going to have a son. And his name's going to be John. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to turn Israel back to God. And he's, he's going to have a profound effect upon his nation. You would have thought that Zach, Zacharias would have said, you know what, praise God. Boy, I can't wait to get home to tell my wife. I, this is what we've been praying for. The Bible literally says uh, in one of these verses where this, is, this wasn't just Elizabeth's prayer, but this was Zacharias' prayer, that God would give them a child. God has answered his prayer. And what does Zacharias do? He struggles with it. He struggles with it. Verses 11 through 18, what does he do? He asks the angel for a sign. He goes on to say, and Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and he told him, fear not, thou shalt have joy and gladness. And he said, do all this. And he go down to verse, and Zechariah said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? How can I know this? And Gabriel's got a little bit of South Augusta in him. Gabriel, I need a sign. How can this be? And Gabriel said, I have been before the presence of God for all of eternity saying, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. I know who sent me. I know what he told me to tell you. You need a what? I need a sign. <laughs> Zacharias struggled with what he did have. He's now got a great promise. He can't figure it out. Sometimes God will begin to do things in our life that are far beyond us, far greater than us and far bigger than us. And we'll step back and say, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know where am I supposed to go with this. Lord, give me a sign. Zacharias had a promise, but he asked for a sign and Gabriel said, what kind of sign do you need? I just gave you a, a promise directly from the throne that you shall have a child. And Zechariah struggled all the way through. But notice this, he didn't stop God's plan. We know the story. Zechariah said, oh, you want a sign? I got one. You ain't going to say nothing. <laughs> you know how I imagine how frustrating that must be? We, we go to Good News Club. Miss Becky does uh, the B-I-B-L-E and she does it in silent. I'm not even going to try to do it because I might do the wrong motions and offend somebody. But she'll get to go and, and man, I, I'll, be, I'll try. I'll try to get my, my fingers to do right. And I asked her, I said, do you, does your hand ever hurt when you do sign language? And she said, no. I said, I must be doing it too strenuously. 
That's a lot of effort that goes into those B-I-B-L-E. Something like that. Right? I couldn't imagine if all of a sudden I lost my voice and now I've got a community. You know how frustrating that must have been? Zacchaeus, why were you in there so long? <laughs> quit, Zach, quit playing Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus. Quit playing Zacharias. I can't, I can't, I can't say nothing. The Bible said they showed what he did have. And here's the danger in your Christian life. When God's already given you a promise, he's already made it clear to you. You say, all right, Lord, that's clear, but Lord, I need a sign. You're going to live a discouraging Christian life because your Christian life's going to be like this. Up one day and down the next because we're never called to live off signs. We're called to live off the promises of God. Standing on the promises of God, I shall not fall. When you live for a sign instead of a promise, it will become a difficult journey. Let me ask tonight, why are you struggling? Is it from too much self-pressure? Or is it from a lack of confidence in the Scriptures? We see they were a struggling couple. We see they were a serious couple. Then notice number three tonight, they were a special couple. They were a special couple. The events didn't just benefit Zacharias and Elizabeth. It had an outreaching effect. Their story encouraged Mary. Look at verse number 37. We, we know the account, and we'll get into Mary in the coming services, but we know that Mary receives news uh, that she too is going to have a child. His name is going to be Jesus in verse number 31. And the Bible says that she goes, and eventually in verse number 40, she finds herself in the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. But right before she goes there, verse 37, the angel of the Lord tells Mary, for with God, nothing is impossible. And now you know how ladies are. You get together and it's not just, hey, how are you? Good, good, great to see you. See you later. I could see Mary. She said, Mary walks in there. Elizabeth, I got to tell you something. Well, what is it, Mary? The Holy Ghost. The angel of the Lord told me that there is now a child in my womb. And we know the story. When she gets there, they will leap in the womb. I'm a firm believer that life begins at conception. Because if a child isn't alive in the womb, how does a child weep in the, leap in the womb? But you can have this conversation. I'm with child of the Holy Ghost. And God has promised that the Son of God is going to be birthed by me. Doesn't that sound impossible? <laughs> Elizabeth begins to laugh. Mary, I got to tell you something. I've been hiding out for five months. Why, Elizabeth? Well, I'm pregnant. What? That's impossible. But God did it. God wasn't, the angel wasn't lying when he told me with God, nothing's impossible. Here's the thing. If they can trust the Lord, then so can I. Because God can do the impossible. Listen tonight, if you're saved by the grace of God, he did the impossible. He made a way for you who, were, who there was no way. There was no opportunity for you to save yourself. And yet God did the impossible. Notice this, the story encouraged Mary. Could you imagine that fellowship? Could you imagine that, that, that conversation there? Notice this, not only did it encourage Mary, 
But Zacharias and Elizabeth Ray is one of the greatest men history has ever known. Jesus himself would later say that John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born of a woman. Jesus don't lie. But John the Baptist didn't raise himself. He had a mom and a daddy. And we see here, yes, they had struggles and yes, they were serious and yet God allowed them who, who had never experienced this before. John wasn't a, a, a later baby in age after they had raised all their children, but here they are, who knows how old they are. They're raising a child and they end up raising one of the greatest men to ever walk the, place, the face of the earth, the one who could I recognize Christ from a distance and say, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. It's interesting when you think about who Jesus didn't mention. He didn't mention Augustus Caesar. He didn't mention Napoleon Bonaparte. He didn't mention Alexander the Great. He didn't mention all the John D. Rockefellers that we all consider great. He said, it's that little, it's that, that, that John the Baptist over there. Man, he's one of the greatest I've ever seen. They raised one of the greatest men alive. And they went from doubting to determined. <laughs> Verse 11 through 18, Zacharias is saying, angel, Gabriel, give me a sign. Now John has been born and they, they've named him, his, verse 63, his name is John. And they, Zacharias, where'd you come up with that name? Well, the angel told me that's what his name's going to be. His name's gonna be John. And the Bible said, after he's wrote it out, he, they marveled all, verse 64, and his mouth was loosed opened immediately his tongue loose and he spake and praised God. It seemed like he'd been holding that in a while. <laughs> God looses his tongue. He ain't mad about it. He ain't upset about it. He said, I've got to take, I've been trying to do it, but I can't mumble my way through. I don't know enough sign language to do it. So y'all got to hold on a second. I'm fixing to praise the Lord. And he begins to praise God. And the Bible said when they, fear came on that dwelt upon them and the, uh, them and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Look at verse 67. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed him. Verse 11 through 18, he's saying, Lord, I don't know if you can do this. I'm not sure if it's possible. But notice in verse number 67, in 68, he's speaking in the past tense. God's already done it. He had raised up a horn of salvation, verse 69, in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which he uh, has been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the, all the, the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy... And that's it, Zacharias realized he got in on something far bigger than himself. There's more than just burning incense in the temple that God was allowing him to see firsthand his plan unfold. The oath that we swore to our fathers, Abraham, that we, he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our... Aren't you glad that you're saved by the grace of God? Aren't you glad for the day that God took you from darkness to light, from death to life? He took the hand of the enemy off of you. He freed you. He forgave you. He set you free. Now serve him without fear is what the Bible's saying and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of your life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, 
For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sin. Preacher, I wonder where John got his message from. I think he got it from his daddy. <laughs> now, son, you know, what, you know what God told you to preach. What, daddy? That there is remission for sins. Repent or perish. John never played with the message. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He went from one who was struggling to understand and to conceive and to uh, construct in his mind how all this was going to work. He said, right, it's, it's God's way. It's God's plan. I'm just going to trust him. He was speaking in the past tense on things that hadn't even happened yet. That's how much his faith grew when he allowed God to work in, through, in and through his life tonight. They were a special couple. They were, they were a struggling couple. Can I just help you out tonight? Your struggles are going to be there. As long as we are on this side of glory, struggle is going to be a part of life. You, you can't send enough 99 99s in for all your problems to go away. The fellow on the TV don't have it right. You just send $149.99 and we'll send you a little prayer cloth. And every time a struggle comes up, you just take that prayer cloth, put it on your forehead, and everything's going to go away. You're just going to be standing there with a prayer cloth on your forehead with all your struggles still around you. But tonight we see they were a struggling couple. They were serious, but they were a special couple. And we also know the Bible said that God is no respecter of persons. God can do that for you tonight. He can take you from a place of struggle and give you something very precious and very special if you'll just let him and you'll listen and by faith you'll trust him. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, for church tonight, we thank you, Lord, for...